Father, we do pray that you would send your Holy Spirit down upon us this morning, that your love divine would fill our hearts, fill us with understanding of your word, with love for you and for your son and for others, and grace to live out what we read of today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our sermon text this morning is one of the most famous passages in all of Paul's writings. In fact, it may be the most well-known passage that he has written in our modern society. It is the famous love chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's very often used in weddings and associated with romantic love. But the Apostle Paul is not here addressing married couples. In fact, he's not talking about romantic love at all. He's talking about the Christian virtue of love, or to use the older English term, charity. Charity here not referring to the act of giving money to the poor, nor thinking well of others, although both of those things are included, but more fundamentally, the virtue of love. Now, love is a very popular concept in our world today. All around us, we see it in slogans, on billboards and bumper stickers, social media posts and TV shows. Love is the answer. Love is love. Love, love, love. 1 Corinthians 13 may seem, then, to fit right in with the values of the world on this point. But this would be a misconception. Because in our culture, love very often stands in for one of two things. Sexual desire or unqualified affirmation. It either means sexual attraction or it means I agree with and support you in whatever you think or want to be doing. In this chapter, love is something much deeper and grander than either of those understandings. The Christian virtue of love, love, according to God's word, is to delight in and seek the good of another. Love is delighting in and seeking the good or welfare of another. This message is an important one for us to hear. It was important for the Corinthians to hear as well. In the book of 1 Corinthians, we read of how these Christians in Corinth experienced a number of spiritual gifts, special gifts and abilities given by the Holy Spirit to them in a remarkable manner. Speaking in tongues, miracles, healing, prophecy, gifts of knowledge, and a number of others. And the Corinthians put a lot of stock in these supernatural workings of the Spirit around them. Augustine says at points it's hard to even know for sure what Paul's referring to with this or that gift because by his day he says that we're not really seeing these anymore. But I'd imagine if these gifts were present among us today and one of us had one of these, 
we would be similarly tempted to put a lot of stock in that gift and to view that person a certain way. And that's what the Corinthians did. Those who had experienced these gifts of the Spirit were tempted to puff themselves up, to view themselves as a pretty big deal and a bit superior to others who did not have those gifts. The experience of these miraculous, gracious gifts of the Spirit served as an occasion for pride, division, and disorder. That's what Paul is addressing, their pride, division, and disorder in their use of these spiritual gifts. And at the end of chapter 12, Paul says to the Corinthians, earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. Seek after the gifts, yes, but here's an even more excellent way for you to follow, the way of love. Here in chapter 13, Paul shows us how love is the more excellent way for us to follow. Here Paul impresses upon us the necessity of love, the characteristics of love, and the enduring character of love. Paul begins with the necessity of love in verses 1 to 3. The question before us here is this. Is love dispensable? Is love dispensable? When you put it like that, it sounds really bad to say that it is dispensable, doesn't it? And yet, how often in practice... Do we treat love as though it's not actually really needed? How often do we actually value or prioritize other things far above love? Paul, in this section, verses 1 to 3, lists a number of things that we might view as spiritually valuable. Some of these are gifts. Others are endeavors or accomplishments. He mentions the gift of tongues in verse 1. The gift of tongues was a supernatural ability to speak and praise God in other languages, even ones you didn't know. In fact, the gift of interpretation was another spiritual gift that was given, uh, and it consisted in interpreting what others who had the gift of tongues were saying, because they didn't know themselves. It was a remarkable experience and gift of the Spirit, And the Corinthians were tempted to view this as proof and indication that so-and-so is a pretty big deal, spiritually speaking. The gift of prophecy in verse 2, being able to foretell the future, like the prophet Agabus in the book of Acts, foretelling the famine, foretelling Paul's imprisonment. The gift of knowledge, verse 2, so that you know all scriptural teachings and all mysteries of the faith, likely encompassing both knowledge you gain from scripture and also supernatural knowledge of current circumstances. The gift of faith and miracles in verse 2, having all faith so as to be able to remove mountains, referring to Jesus' teaching in Matthew 17, verse 20, truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So the gift of faith and miracles, being so full of faith that you're able to work mighty miracles and wonders in the name of Christ. He mentions deeds of radical uh, 
charity or almsgiving in verse 3. Selling all that you have so that you can feed the poor. And he finally ends with the act of martyrdom itself. Delivering over your body to be burned for the sake of the faith in a time of persecution. We mentioned Ananias, Azariah, and Misael in the Benedicite. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, Not bowing to the statue, being willing to be thrown into the furnace. Having that kind of faith, that kind of courage, you deliver your body to be burned. All of these gifts and uh, endeavors, we might think, are very valuable and praiseworthy in the sight of God. If someone were to join Holy Cross, who possessed any one or several of these gifts, we might think, well, they're a very holy and spiritual kind of person. And yet Paul confronts us with this question, and it may be an unsettling one. What if someone had all of these things but didn't have love? The very question might astound us. Do you mean to say, St. Paul, that someone can have spiritual gifts, gifts of the Spirit, so that they can speak in tongues, prophesy, know all mysteries, work miracles with their great faith, and not have a heart animated by love? Or that someone might be even so generous as to sell all that they have and give their proceeds to the poor. Or that they might stand for the faith so boldly that they give themselves over to be burned and yet not have love in their heart. And yet that is just what Paul is saying. Jesus himself told us this. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The Spirit of God can come upon someone in miraculous ways and use them to work mighty deeds, even miracles through them. And yet that person may not have their own heart regenerated by the Spirit so that they have a heart of love and true faith. And so too can someone do deeds that outwardly look self-sacrificial, Selling all their possessions and giving to the poor. Selfless act. Deeds that outwardly look pious. They gave up their own body to be burned. And yet be animated by something other than a heart of love. It is possible to do even acts such as these. From another desire. From another motive. Than genuine love to God and others. Perhaps they were, motivated, they were motivated by the desire for the praise of others or to make a name for themselves. As he's about to be burned at the stake, thinking this will go down in, in the history books. And so it is that these great acts, these great gifts may not be so great. 
if love is there or if love is not there. If love is not there, then the gift of tongues is just clattering symbols, dissonant noises that you just want to stop. If love is not present, then it doesn't matter how much I know or can predict or how many mountains I can move with my faith. I am nothing, Paul says. And if I give away all I have or give up my body to be burned and yet have not love, I gain nothing. Brothers and sisters, we are about to enter into the season of Lent. This is a time of self-denial, fasting, repentance. Keep in mind that great faith, great spiritual gifts, even great acts of self-denial, bodily discipline, and self-abnegation, if they do not have love in them, are worthless. It is possible to do deeds that look spiritual, that look loving and charitable, that look like self-sacrifice and self-denial, and yet not do it from a heart of love. Love is what is most crucial. Love is the summation of the law. He who loves another has fulfilled the law, Paul says. Love is the chief duty required of us by God. Jesus says, When asked, what is the most important commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the great duty that rests upon us, the great positive good that we are called to pursue, without which we who live are accounted as dead before God. John Calvin writes, the main truth in this passage is this, That as love is the only rule of our actions and the only means of regulating the right use of the gifts of God, nothing in the absence of it is approved of by God, however magnificent it may be in the estimation of men. For where it is wanting, the beauty of all virtues is mere tinsel. It is empty sound, is not worth a straw, nay more, is offensive and disgusting. Love is essential. Next, Paul moves on to describe love's characteristics. In these verses 4 to verse 7, Paul gives us a whole series of descriptors, of verbs, in fact, to describe the actions and fruits of love. What is love like? What does love do? That's what Paul describes here in verses 4 to 7. Since love is the summation of the law, in it are comprehended all the other virtues. All the other virtues that we are called to in the Christian life, are nothing more than love in a certain context and relation. So let us consider these descriptors in turn. Love is patient. It's persistent. It stays even when things get hard. It waits with, for, and alongside of people. It bears with the faults and weaknesses of others and persists through them. Love is kind, it's good, merciful, benevolent. It seeks to make things easy for others, to alleviate pain and discomfort. Love does not envy. It does not grieve when things go well for others, even enemies 
It does not resent the gifts or blessings or achievements of others or view them as a threat to their own ego and sense of importance. It isn't ever trying to come out on top and have the advantage over the others. It does not envy. Love does not boast. It doesn't brag about its own achievements or seek recognition. Love is not arrogant. It is not puffed up with a sense of its own self-importance, thinking of itself as a pretty big deal, as a good deal more significant than others. Love is not rude. Love takes care about how it treats others. It recognizes standards of propriety, decency, and manners. It is not rude. Love does not insist on its own way or seeketh not its own. Love counts others as more significant than itself. It doesn't look merely to its own interests, but seeks the good of others. Love is not irritable or resentful. It's slow to take offense. It is not inclined to anger or spite. It does not keep score. It is able to suffer wrong without retaliation, vengefulness, or resentment. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. In this way, love differs from unconditional affirmation. Love is guided by the moral law of God and thus by right and wrong. Love doesn't rejoice at sin, but instead rejoices with integrity, the right, the truth. Love bears all things. It never gives up support. It continues to hold together difficult relationships and endures when things get tough. Love believes all things. It does not give up the faith. It trusts in God who gives it the strength to endure. Love hopes all things. Love does not become cynical about the world, people, or situations. It knows where its hope is found, and it rejoices in that hope. It recognizes the almighty power of God to bring about change, to do what is with man impossible. Love endures all things. It perseveres. It does not fizzle out or give up. And it's this last characteristic of love, the enduring character of love, that Paul dwells upon at length in the final section of this chapter. The enduring nature of love he expands on in verses 8 to 13. A few weeks ago, I said that I don't really like the phrase, nothing lasts forever. That's just not true. There are a surprising number of things that last forever, according to the Bible. Paul here says that love is one of the great eternal realities that lasts forever. The virtue of love endures into all eternity. Here Paul, in this final section, once again goes back to the spiritual gifts that the Corinthians were putting so much stock in to the detriment of love. Unlike love, these gifts are temporary. As for prophecies, they shall pass away. As for tongues, they shall cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes... The partial will pass away. 
At the return of Christ, there will be no need for prophecy, speaking in tongues, or for miraculous gifts of knowledge. All of these gifts are only giving us fragments of the truth that is in Jesus. But in the world to come, we will see him face to face, and we will look upon the face of the Father. We will have the reality, the full reality, which these only give to us in parts. Paul compares this to growing up, how when he was a child, he spoke like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. When I became man, I gave up childish ways. These gifts are good and beneficial, but they are for a certain stage of development, which we're meant to move beyond. And that movement will be like the movement from seeing someone's reflection in a dim, blurry mirror and seeing them face to face. It's like the movement from doing a low quality FaceTime video with someone and then opening the door and seeing them face to face coming into your living room. What we know now only in part, we shall then know fully, even as we are fully known. So Paul says, prophecy, tongues, miraculous knowledge are temporary gifts, good for a time, but they will serve their purpose and then be set aside, no more to be needed again. But love lasts forever. It never ends. It is a virtue which continues even through death. It will be with us even in heaven when faith turns to sight and hope is fulfilled with the expectation realized. Love will endure forever. Paul is saying, put your stock in what lasts forever. Love lasts forever. Put your stock where it lasts forever. Matthew Henry writes, There will love be made perfect. There we shall perfectly love God because he will appear amiable forever and our hearts will kindle at the sight and glow with perpetual devotion. And there shall we perfectly love one another when all the saints meet there, when none but saints are there and saints made perfect. O blessed state, how much surpassing the best below. O amiable and excellent grace of charity, how much does it exceed the most valuable gift when it outshines every grace and is the everlasting consummation of them. When faith and hope are at an end, true charity will burn forever with the brightest flame. We have seen then the necessity of love, the characteristics of love, and the enduring quality of love. In conclusion, I ask you, where will you and I get the power to live like this? How will we live lives of love and not give in to impatience, selfishness, envy, pride, irritability, resentment? How can we live lives of love? The Apostle John tells us in 1 John 4, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Verses 8 to 10 of the same chapter, God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. 
In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus Christ shows the love of God. We didn't love God. We hated him. We hated others, hated by one another. That was the situation. But then the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared in Christ. His love is manifest in giving up his own son to death on the cross, to bear the judgment we deserve for our sins, to be the propitiation that takes away the wrath of God resting upon us so that we are saved by the mercy and grace and love of God. And then we have the strength to love we will be able to walk in the way of love when we recognize that Christ our Savior walked that way first for us in our salvation. He died for our sins, covering our imperfections of love, our hatred, our pride, our malice and selfishness. In love, he bore our guilt and gave us the grace of eternal life and salvation. We live out of his love. We are called to walk in love as the recipients of God's love, as those who have been loved by the Son of God himself, and loved to the uttermost. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we praise you for the great love you've given us that we should be called children of God, that you did not withhold even your own Son, but gave him up to suffer and die, to bear the wrath and curse of of your own justice in our place. We thank you that he has reconciled us to you, that he has shown your love and that through him we receive the love of God and the person of the Holy Spirit pour into our hearts. So Lord, pour this grace of the Spirit into our hearts. Fill our hearts with love, with charity, that we might walk in your ways, walking in love as you loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.